all you have. We would be honored if you would join us. What's up, Far Far Away family? Welcome to Star Wars Audio Archive. So how's everyone doing today? I hope everything is going well on your side of the galaxy. Nothing new out here on the Outer Rim. Still just waiting for the Bad Batch to come out. So what do we got for news today? Well, I guess we really ain't got news. I just finished reading Star Wars Convergence, and I want to give my thoughts on the book before you go out and buy it or download it from Audible or however you obtain your books. So instead of news, this is going to be more of a first impression or review. The first adult novel in the High Republic Phase 2 gives us a new cast of characters, and it's set a lot of years before the Battle of Yevon. It's kind of crazy, but the High Republic books took a weird turn earlier this year. After the novel, the Fallen Star closed out Phase 1 on a cliffhanger. Instead of them continuing the story from that point, Phase 2 jumps 150 years further back in the timeline, which is just stupid in my opinion, because I really wanted to know what was going to happen. But Phase 2 started with a new book, Convergence, authored by Zoriara Cordava. I know I messed up her name, but she tells the first major Phase 2 tale within this story, which hit the shelf last month. In an era of exploration as the Galactic Republic expands, with Jedi Knight Gela Nadi leading a new cast of characters, she travels to Irum and Aran, warring naval worlds in an uneasy ceasefire, to investigate a royal assassination attempt. One of the things I like with previous High Republic novels, they all had a lot going on, making them super excited, but it was hard to connect with any of the characters personally. Cordava avoids this by sticking to a few core characters and giving each of them a clear arc. The expressive writing invites you to keep reading, with clever language choices injecting color into the locations, and beautiful detailed battles giving the action a visual flair. The majority of the story is told between the watery world of Irem and the dry, arid Iran. But this is the first time exploring them fully, and yes, they do have a very similar name, so it is really easy to mess them up, something that frustrated me a lot while reading this book. Thankfully, each world's main royal family is distinct. We have Ziri, which is the daughter of Iram's monarch, and Fantu, which is the adoptive son of Iram's queen. Their evolving relationship is the novel's emotional core, since they represent the hope for a future of their two worlds. It's fascinating to watch their journey unfold. Gela, Ziri, and Fantu are joined by a royalty of another sort, Axel Greylock, the arrogant son of the Republic Chancellor. He is sent to represent the Galactic Union's political interests. Cordava gives him debt by solely revealing the trauma of his past. Axel's character leans too hard into bad boy persona. He's impossibly charismatic and dangerous. Despite this, his bond with Gela is among the novel's best elements. Spicing things up further, there is a villainous group trying to end the ceasefire between Irem and Iram. But this element isn't developed in a very good way. It's largely left as a twisted plot thread for other High Republic books, but it still adds a sense of danger to the two worlds. And Cordava offers plenty of political drama. Now it occasionally loses momentum a few times but a dark twist increases the stakes towards the end of the novel. Some of the climactic action sequences feel too chaotic, with Ziri and Fantu's roles reducing to a disappointing degree. It's forgivable since the novel comes to a satisfying end that leaves the characters changed in a fun way. The story will continue with Lydia Kane's Cataclysm that is set to be released in April, but I think that Convergence is a solid start for Phase 2. Cordava took the time to develop a small, memorable cast and explore two fascinating worlds. Despite Axel's unbelievable qualities and the story getting a little silly at the end, it's still a journey I think is worth taking. I would recommend it to any Star Wars fan, but it might be a little hard to follow if this is your first Star Wars experience. 
Okay, now let's get back to Star Wars Brotherhood. Because when we left off last week, Ventress was digging her dark side nails into Kitar. So let's see what is happening now. Anakin Skywalker. Anakin clicked the button again, prompting a single beep. And again, nothing. Come on, Obi-Wan, he muttered to himself. He paced around the small room, a makeshift office tucked to the side of a random hallway in the cruiser's lower level. From the window, he saw the loading bay. Troops walking back and forth, groups of clone troopers in green helmets passing by, further troopers in armor with gray patches and lines. At the end of the bay, a shuttle landed. A different group with yellow-trimmed armor unloading, empty supply crates in their arms. And behind him, Mill sat outside the door, waiting patiently. She didn't ask why he huddled in there, but she agreed to wait. Anakin wasn't even sure why he kept her around when she could have easily been dispatched to the other younglings. But from the little time they'd spent together, he'd gotten the sense that she'd learn more around him than with the rambunctious initiates more interested in force trickery than what was happening down on Langston. At the very least, she had way more patience than those younglings. Where are you, Obi-Wan? Anakin said to himself, clicking the button on his comlink again. The beep came and went again, a call with no answer. Anakin held up the device, talking to it as if it were a standard communicator. Come in, Obi-Wan. This is your really annoyed former Padawan. But of course those words wouldn't transmit across the galaxy. Not until Obi-Wan picked up on his end. Anakin supposed that he might have been tied up in something important. Or he may have simply forgotten the communicator in its secured case. Whatever the reason, a problem still existed in the form of some really important data, some really damning data, and simply standing around waiting for the fallout drove Anakin mad. Anakin checked the Comlink's transmission logs again and made sure that Dex's report was received by Obi-Wan's device. Which it was which meant that Obi-Wan now had confirmation that all of the data he'd discovered on Caternamodia's surface was authentic. Where it all originated remained undetermined. But all of the technical links tying details directly to the Republic? They were real. And Anakin didn't know what to do about that except pace around the room, repeatedly hitting the button on the comlink. He glanced over at the door, which remained shut, mail outside. They were supposed to be meeting up with the rest of the younglings for a lesson on local maps, and how the climate of a planet influenced its topography, and thus the way the society built its community. A valuable lesson, to be sure, both from a cultural and tactical perspective. But really, Anakin needed to hear from Obi-Wan. For now, the best he could do was leave him a message. He clicked the button twice, and a chirp with a higher tone beeped to indicate it was recording. Obi-Wan, where are you? I've just sent you the findings. It looks bad for the Republic. The information on the datapad is authentic. It's real. There has to be a reason. 
I don't know how or why, but there has to be. We need to get to the bottom of this. He clicked the button again to transmit, then leaned back against the room's console, arms crossed. How could someone frame the Republic so easily? As if the Force had been listening in on the moment, Anakin's comlink finally beeped. He looked at the door one more time, then figured Mill could wait another few minutes. Well, you sure took your sweet time. I thought we had a galaxy to save. The low hiss of the communicator's open channel continued, though no voice came over it. Obi-Wan? Obi-Wan, can you hear me? You see? A voice spoke. Someone who was definitely not Obi-Wan Kenobi. The female voice was raspy and oily, two short words loaded with menace. He brought a communicator with him. Who is this? Anakin yelled. What have you done with Obi-Wan? The comm link beeped a low tone, dropping the connection dead. Anakin stared at it, gripping the device in the palm of his mechanical hand, as if he could penetrate through the wiring and composite to reveal the true nature of who was on the other side. We love bringing you more Star Wars, and it is because of our partners that we can do this week after week. So we invite you to be one of those partners. For as little as a dollar a month, you can help us keep this going. Your support will give us the ability to create future episodes, as well as provide you with the best sounding show on your playlist. And to express our appreciation, we will give you a shout out on our mid-series show that we do in the middle of every book. You will also be automatically entered in all future giveaways. All you have to do is go to the show notes and click that listener support link. Now let's get back to the show. He almost hit the button again to send a hailing signal, but thought better of it. In fact, right now, this comm link was the wrong kind of evidence. With that thought, he tossed the device into the air, drew his lightsaber, and in one move slashed it in two. It fell to the floor, each half landing with a clink, steam coming from burning orange-yellow seams. Master Skywalker? Anakin looked up to find the door ajar and Mill poking her head through. I felt your... Her lips pursed and nose wrinkled as she searched for the right word. Concern. It's okay, Mill, he said. Fists formed at his side and his jaw clenched. Thoughts turning into fears, turning into so much more. Who could he go to? They weren't supposed to be in contact. He couldn't reach out to the Jedi Council. Obi-Wan had told him to stay away. And now someone had all of the information that might cast blame on the Republic. That someone had to be the agent Dooku had sent to Cato Neimoidia. Master, are you all right? Anakin looked at Mill. The tan skin and horns of a Zabrak, but the eyes of universal youth... That moment down on Langston seemed so profound. The intersection of spiritual awakening and a commitment to righteous choices. And yet, after all of that, she was still just a youngling. Curious, uncertain, and maturing. She would grow into herself and her abilities to make her own choices. But for now, she relied on her elders as he used to. No. He said quietly, I'm not all right. And I lied. Things aren't okay. 
Can we... She started before catching herself. Then she looked to either side, each direction down the long hallways of the cruiser, before stepping in the room and letting the door seal behind her. Smart, Anakin thought. Can we help Master Kenobi? You heard, Anakin said. Well, you kind of yelled it. Back on Tatooine, he had a choice to make. With Obi-Wan in peril, wounds still fresh in his heart from burying his mother, different paths were laid out before him. Go and help Obi-Wan, or stay on his home planet as Master Windu dictated. But in the end, he didn't make a choice. He was a Padawan, still operating under so many layers of guidance, and Padme had been the one to decide for both of him. However, now he was a Jedi Knight, with the authority to make decisions, even ones people didn't like. Except it turned out that even Obi-Wan bent the rules from time to time. He might as well start now. Let me think. Anakin began pacing around the room, ideas snapping into focus. They couldn't include the clones in this. That visual might trigger a far greater conflict. That was Obi-Wan's entire reason for going alone. Same thing with the Jedi. Any officials with any type of ties to the Republic would cause problems. No. This had to be discreet. And swift. When you were helping that family down on Langston, did you happen to see any vessels with hyperdrive capabilities? Maybe in the neighborhood around there? Mill's expression turned puzzled with a scrunched face. There are a number of them in the landing area. They're not really being used right now. They're too busy trying to rebuild from the battle. That moment of decision. In a previous life, it meant waiting for permission, for guidance. Obi-Wan telling him what to do and when to do it, or Padme using her status to make a decision for them. But here, now, the choice was his. He could stay on the cruiser, finish the distribution assignment on Langston, then head back to the Jedi Temple in a few days. Or he could go down to the surface now, let Mill guide him to an available ship, and fly to Cato Neimoidia. What was proper versus what was right, it was right after all. Even Chancellor Palpatine believed he should be out there alongside Obi-Wan. In fact, only the rules of the Jedi stood in the way. This was Anakin Skywalker as a Jedi Knight. Finally, with the freedom to choose his path. And he was going to take it. To protect Obi-Wan Kenobi. And maybe, even the galaxy. Can you show me where these ships are? Sure, Mill said. But what for? Anakin looked down at the long corridor. A handful of clones passing by with nothing more than a salute. It's like I asked you the other day. You said... You wanted to help people, right? So this part of the story starts off with Anakin trying to contact Obi-Wan. But Kenobi is not answering and Anakin is getting frustrated. Okay, how many times do we have to go through this? If one of them doesn't answer, there's always a problem. For everyone that's watched the prequel trilogy or the Clone Wars animated series, you know that this means bad news. By the second attempt, it's time to set up a rescue plan. That's just how it goes. 
But after the tenth try, some woman with a raspy voice answers, and it's not hard to guess who it is. So Anakin must choose his mission or save his master from certain death. So he asks Mill if she has seen any ships on the planet's surface. Now he's going to drag a youngling along for the ride, which sounds like something that Anakin would do. You know what I have a hard time understanding? After everything we've seen Anakin do as a Padawan and as a knight, when Anakin turns to the dark side to becomes Vader, there are so many people that were like, no, Anakin, don't do it. His whole career as a Jedi, he was breaking rules. What did you expect? Okay, anyways, that's where this part came to a close. Now let's get to the quote of this week, and it comes to us from Dan Millman. Not Millman, Millman, M-I-L-L-M-A-N. He said, willpower is the key to success. Successful people strive no matter what they feel by applying their will to overcome doubt and fear. What makes successful people successful? What are the common traits? When it comes to living a successful life, everyone wants a piece of it and nobody wants to live a mediocre life. Everybody wants to be successful. Unfortunately, those who have accomplished remarkable results in their life are rare. And this is what makes being successful something even more precious. If you want to be successful, no matter whether it is in your career, in your business, spiritually, or in your family life, you must first make the decision that that's what you want. Most people are not committed, and they do not make decisions to strive for what they want in their lives. It's sad, but that's the honest truth. So what must you do to get it? Learn how to manifest and achieve whatever you want. Discover how to use the laws of attraction. Success will come to you only when you are fully committed, and decide that you will go for it no matter what. That's what makes successful people successful. So what do they do differently than ordinary people? This is something you might be asking yourself. Here goes five common traits that separate the extraordinary from the normal. Number one, successful people have big dreams. Yes, I know you've heard this at least a million times. However, I just wanted to remind you once more, successful people dream big. If you are serious about living a successful life, the first step you need to do is get yourself out of the ordinary. And the only way to do this is to start thinking big, really big. Okay, number two, successful people are always on the move. They are proactive people who go and make things happen rather than waiting for things to happen. You have to be the same. Take actions and make your dreams a reality. So commit to taking at least five small actions that will move you towards your goal each day. If you could take five small actions every day, within a year, you will be achieving 1,825 small victories. And this will definitely bring you the results you want. Success requires consistency. So be consistent and take actions every day. Number three, successful people will never give up. When you study successful people who have created amazing results in life, people such as Walt Disney and Michael Jordan, you will see that they simply refuse to quit. The journey to success is tough and you will go through a lot of failures and setbacks. However, never let them get you down. Great people will never quit and they will never give up on their dreams. They will hold on and continue to work hard even when others tell them that it is impossible. Number four, successful people always expect positive things. After reading success stories from great people around the world, I found that successful people are always positive and they expect positive things to happen in the future. You have to be the same. Always think positive and always expect the best. It does not matter if you are not successful right now. What matters most is where you would want to go and are you willing to work for it. Okay, number five, successful people believe in their dreams. Do you believe in yourself and your dreams? If you don't believe in your dreams, who else will? It is your dream and you have to protect it. Never let anyone say that it can't be done. The Wright brothers invented an airplane when people told them that it was impossible. Discover how to focus your attention, learn about emotional detachment and letting go. You have to believe in your dreams and yourself. You have to trust that somehow things will work out for you. 
and you always must prepare yourself and work on your dreams. Okay, let me break it down. Always dream big, take consistent actions, never give up, think positively, and most importantly, believe in yourself and your dream. If you are serious about achieving outstanding success in your life, read, study, and learn from successful people. Learn from both their failures and their successes. Do what they did to gain success and avoid making the same mistakes that they have made. Take massive actions and never quit until you reach your goals. I believe in you, so make sure that you believe in yourself. Okay, I think that's all I have for today. Don't forget to get your emails in or become a supporter of the show before the 23rd of this month, which is this Friday. Links are in the description because next week is our mid-season show and giveaway and we can't wait to see you there. Thank you for listening to Star Wars Audio Archives. Join us next time for more Star Wars adventures. If you would like to listen to other episodes of the show, you can follow us on your favorite podcast directory. If you enjoyed the show, we would greatly appreciate a five-star review. Once again, thank you for listening, and may the Force be with you. Sway was created by Keen Eye Shed and is a production of Pick Film Media and was distributed by Swaycast Networks. This show was produced by Quinn McDaniel. Star Wars Brotherhood was read to you by Jason O'Dagan. Sound designed by Theodore Thompson. I am your host, Kyle, and we will see you next time in a galaxy far, far away. <laughs>